Well, hey, everybody. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. This is Kevin Peterson, the uh, founder of the Chronic Hope Institute. And welcome to the Chronic Hope podcast. This is episode 15. We have a journey to authenticity and recovery with my guest, Jay Staples, who we'll get to in just a second. Um, we're so glad you joined us. It's so important for us for that you be here. We, uh, we are... just impact the individual it impacts the entire family the chronic hope institute seeks to help families heal from addiction through family case management and professional therapy treatment and i would tell you that the chronic hope institute was founded to help individuals and family members access resources for free when it comes to saying i have an addict in the family what do i do we want them to have as much information at their fingertips for free uh, and that's why we do this. And then we also want to help educate clinicians. And and that's the deal. And I'm, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so excited to introduce my my pal, Jay Staples from Burning Tree. And, and hi, Jay, how are you? How are you doing, KP? Kevin, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, man, uh, it's an honor to have you. And I think it's just we we're having a great chat before we started. And and I, what I would like to do is sort of talk a little bit about you and your personal journey and recovery, and and then hear a little bit about how your family has, you know, was part of that or not part of that or all that whole things. And then we can talk about Burning Tree a little bit. How's that sound? I, I mean, anything. You, you're the leader. I follow you, except on the golf course. So uh, absolutely, I can. Uh, <laughs> my favorite topic is Jay. So I can, uh, I've been told by my sponsors sometimes uh, outside of the speaker meetings, uh, you know, maybe don't talk about your favorite topic, but I can, any opportunity I can talk about me, I, I'm, I'm more than willing. Well, what we found on this podcast is that um, people respond really well to when we get real genuine and authentic and talk about our personal experiences and so folks that are trying to relate to, you know, how do I help my family member, that helps them. So, so it doesn't sound like they're at a car dealership getting pitched on a car. You know, what, what they, what, if we can come at them from a perspective of, hey, look, I want to let you know. Like for me, I grew up in a house of addiction. I became an addict. I got sober and I became a mental health professional. And, and so when I tell them that, they're like, oh, okay, this guy isn't, you know, trying to sell me a bag of snake oil. And, and so tell us a little bit about you. Tell us your journey uh, to recovery and authenticity. Well, I think the journey to authenticity, you know, I would love to say it's an ongoing process and it's something that I've personally kind of, you know, fallen in love with. And, um, you know, I don't think I'm any any different. I think we all have different stories and so forth like that. Uh, you know, for me, my family was truly amazing. Uh, you know, in fact that they, you know, you know, they loved me too much and they thought that they could love the addiction away from me or anything like that. And I wasn't a, someone that that's, that started drinking at 12 or 13 or anything like that. I really kind of only had my first drink, my first night in college. Um, when I was 18 years old, but you know, what I've learned through the whole, you know, through this long-term process, and I think people have pointed it out real nicely was, you know, let's go back to before 18. It had nothing to do with the alcohol. It had nothing to do with the drugs that led 
to all that. I mean, it's the my desire to fit in and always feeling like there's something off about me. Uh, you know, whether it was dialing the, the six numbers to, you know, and and holding my breath, waiting to hit that seven number to call the girl to ask her to prom or to a date or, you know, it, you know, I had two older brothers that, you know, were kind of my role models and, you know, were from my standpoint, never really had a, a problem fitting in. Um, I was a freshman in high school. Uh, my middle brother was a senior. He was, he was, you know, just cool. Uh, he ran with a cool crowd. Um, you know, so I came in as a freshman, you know, with Tim's little brother and, you know, with a bunch of people always watching me and, you know, I was, I was that freshman that had the senior, you know, cool boys and senior girls hanging around me because I was Tim's younger brother. And, you know, you know, even that, uh, I struggled to really find a true connection or really make true friends or, you know, so when it was given the opportunity to drink my first night in college. So I thought I was going to be a professional golfer. I had some, you know, professional, uh, I had some golf capabilities and some, you know, winning and, and so forth like that. I went down to Mississippi, uh, every intention of being a professional golfer, harnessing my craft to become a, a professional golfer. First night, uh, you know, at, in the dorms, uh, you know, I knew no one. I mean, uh, I would gotten by this, this far to, on my charm and, you know, whatever it may be. I, I had a good group of friends, but we weren't really ever that close. Um, and then that first night, uh, hooting and hollering down the hall, down in the lounge area, they were playing drinking games and uh, I wanted in and I walked down there playing a character, uh, you know, hey, you know, my name's Jay, like the drink Jay. I mean, I came from Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin, I told everyone, you know, I had, I had brandy in my bottle. I mean, I, I've been drinking since I can remember fully lying, you know, like never had a drink. I, you know, I, I had sips. I always like to say I never had a drink of drop, you know, but I had sips, but I was also the guy that, you know, my brothers and my neighbors all hid beers up in our wood areas where our parents lived. And I was that guy that would go on heights, find the beers and then smash the bottles. And now looking back, the, you know, the addict, the alcoholic Jays, like those guys must've been really ticked off because I was the guy that was, you know, smashing. They were hiding for the weekend uh, party. They were probably all excited. They had a bunch of people over, went up to the woods and saw a bunch of, you know, smashed, you know, but that was me. And, um, but I had drinks here and there. Uh, you know, I had a role model, which was my dad. I mean, the, the hardest working guy, successful, uh, love him to pieces, actually went to work for him, thought that was my, uh, my calling. Um, you know, but you know, my dad, I saw my dad at an early age, it was nothing wrong, but you know, my dad put a hard day's work. He owned his own company. You know, people respected him. His, our last name was on several doors and he worked hard and then, uh, brought home, you know, whatever, you know, and went to the bar every night after work and then came home for dinner, sat down to dinner, you know, and we ate as a family. Weekends, Saturday was, he knew he would take me out sometimes. Uh, I knew I was going to the bar on Saturday afternoon. He would, everyone knew his name. Uh, he was like, cheers, they go to the same bar. I was excited because I could get rip beer, french fries and, and video games. So, um, so I mean, that's really how I kind of saw, 
I thought that if you wanted to be a successful person, you work really hard, you own companies, and then you went to the bar afterwards, and then you found that bar where everyone knows your name. And so it's the life. I mean, I, I continued moving on. I mean, I was in and out of treatments and I was in and out of jails and, uh, you know, it's, it's the same old story and so forth. My mom, God bless her, uh, tried to love addiction. Um, you know, my biggest regret in life right now is, you know, my mom Remember, I remember my mom always questioning whether she did something wrong as a parent. Like, did she, cause I had a tendency to lie growing up and she would spank me or use a belt or ground me or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, I, I remember, yeah, I would always get arrested and go in the drunk tank and then get let go for another DUI. And then my dad would swoop in with a, with our lawyer and, um, and get me off of it. But I, I, I mean, I, I talk about the turning point um, in my sobriety. It was, you know, one of these days where I wasn't able to get bailed out this time. Uh, I had to spend the night in jail, came into court with that orange jumpsuit. Um, my mom and dad there. Um, I didn't ever want to pay attention to my mom and dad there. So I knew in the corner of my eye, I saw him, but uh, standing in front of a judge, like in an orange jumpsuit, like I knew that my mom and dad did not have that on their daily calendar. They, they did not have that in this, in our family's uh, you know, reputation. And I didn't want to look at them. I got out of it. Um, you know, and I would love to say like, I went home, told my mom and dad, I'd never drink again or do drugs or whatever. Uh, I was drinking that night. That was, I was on house arrest. I was drinking during house arrest. I mean, so it wasn't until 2008 uh, with another long-term facility. It happens to be Burning Tree. Uh, but uh, I'm a walking, talking billboard for Burning Tree. So, but it, it just needed, I needed to be separated. And I go back to thankfully being pointed out that it had nothing to do with the alcohol because, you know, let's go pre-18. And when I got in touch with the inability to fit in or I'm not enough or I'm not worthy and all these other things, that tr that's the heart of, of my addiction and alcohol, you know, whatever it may be. And, and so, like, to sit here now and, you know, 12, 13 years later, whatever it may be, I lose track. But um, and that's a miracle in itself. I'd be reminded how much time I have away from drinking and drugging. But it's it's the it's this authenticity that I, you know, the, I show up me and the people that know me, um, know me to the best of my ability. I still think I'm learning a little more about myself. Um, I still can't take compliments. Uh, I always have to like cut you off and be like, no, no, Kevin, like, thank you for saying I'm a good person, but let me tell you uh, what I did last night. Like I, I ate a bunch of Fritos or something and, you know, I, I don't want to accept that compliment, still my weakness, but, uh, you know, it's through my journey of authenticity, which is huge with me. I always talk about rewriting my story. You know, I think it's very interesting what you guys do and, and you know, you do is I think there's a level of finding your authentic self through the family um, as well. Like our, my family personally had to find out uh, what the what the true authentic staple family was knowing that that their youngest son was was entering and hopefully and still is to this day in long-term recovery but there was a long long journey that they had to learn as well and what it looked like to you know embrace my sobriety to help support my sobriety they went through a lot of stuff i mean my mom still blames herself for 
for being a bad parent. I think she's slowly getting over that. But uh, my two older brothers, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm, you know, Uncle Cool. I'm Uncle Jay. I mean, I, I th it's all blessings and so forth. And it had nothing to do with stop drinking and drugging, which I love telling people. It's, it's really getting in touch with when I finally found who, who I truly was and was able to stand in a room. Uh, what Brene Brown always talks about, like, you know, like people, I I say role models. I've never met any of them, but, you know, I listened to Brene Brown, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer and uh, Joe Dispenza. And, you know, thinking yeah. about, you know, my my, pos my my thought process in this whole thing is when I wake up every morning, I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough. What, what would it look like if I changed the thought process and, and woke up this morning saying, you know what? you know, Kevin Peterson wants to interview me or have him, you know, like I got something to say and so forth like that. And so it's little stuff like that, that I can change my day just by how I think. And, you know, my journey to authenticity, uh, my family, uh, you know, I've probably been mumbling on and on. I could, I could, I could bore you for five days talking about my journey. To authenticity. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I think that was good. Though, but, uh, yeah, I think I actually think you want. So needless to say, I was two years sober. Um, a new facility just outside Dallas was opening up and uh, my sponsor at the time, God bless him. Um, you know, he he mentioned to me that you know maybe it's time uh, that you give back to some people uh, that you've taken out of treatment. I had a little tendency to fall in love while in treatment and then walk off and um Needless to say, the relationships never never worked out. But uh, so he asked me to to, to become a, a counselor assistant at uh, a, a local facility that was just opening up in 2011. Um, I was going to do it for six months, and then I was going to go back into the advertising game, or maybe the golf business, or whatever it may be. Um, and I went, you know, and I worked at that place for a year and a half. I mean, I absolutely fell in love with, you know, just leading big book groups and just sitting down with people that are early in recovery that were much like me. Um, you know, after that, Burning Tree called me and said, hey, you know, remember us, you, can, you know, we can kind of save your life. Would you want to come, you know, work for us and, and go around the country talking about, you know, Burning Tree? And I had to think about it. I mean, there was, there was a point in my life where I wanted to be a counselor system my entire life. And to be on the front lines, anyone on the front lines of any treatment facility, I have the utmost respect for, and it's truly an important position. I jumped uh, at the opportunity to work for Burning Tree, and that was, you know, 2012, 2013, something like that, and uh, really have stayed with them ever since. Um, but I fell in love with the industry, um, you know, just the ability to to carry the message, to talk to families that are in desperation for trying to get their loved one in treatment, um, share a little of my story. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't ever sell, uh, you know, addiction or recovery or anything like that. I try my best just to say, worked in my life and find whatever works in your life. And, but our, the families that call normally are in despair and, you know, we, we work with you guys and, and, and all the people all over trying to find that because um, the family is desperate, desperate and, and lost and they don't know what to do. They just, you know, like much like my mom and dad, they just want to to love me, uh, the addiction. And then they think that they drop Jay off at, at treatment. Their life is done. You know, they don't have to worry about him. Just, you know, like like I'm a 
a piece of bread. Like when when Jay's done, let us know when the buzzer goes off, and then he'll come out. It'll be this finely tuned of French bread or anything. Like we all know, um, it's it's about what the family's going to take a look like. What is it going to look like with Jay being in early recovery? What's it look like with Jay being in long term recovery? So, right, right. Let me jump in. Um, cause I want to go back to a little bit of what you were talking about earlier. And, and I think it's really significant because you were talking about, you know, uh, being in the orange jumpsuit in jail in front of the judge and your mom and dad there, and they couldn't protect you. They couldn't, they couldn't stop. You know, they, I think a lot of times when families that I work with, and I know families that you work with, they're thinking, I need to intervene. I need to stop this. I don't want them to have a record. I want to. I want to keep him from his consequences. And and I, it sounds to me like your experience is a lot like mine. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have jail experiences, but when I started experiencing my consequences is when I started paying attention, you know, and, and my parents had spent a lot of time and money trying to stop my consequences. And it sounds like you have a very similar experience. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, consequences to me didn't keep me sober either. And so from like, but, you know, I think the, the interesting thing was like how much time and effort I, you know, thought process that I had put into other people, like everyone, I think my mom and dad, I thought, and probably to this day, somewhat think that I only still think about myself. Um, but, you know, that was the biggest, you know, the consequence of sitting in an orange jumpsuit, being in jail, another DUI, you know, being 31 and, and living with mom and dad under house arrest in their house and so forth. Like, you know, I, I don't, I think looking back on that time, I think my mom and dad just thought I was just this, you know, doing whatever I wanted to. The thought was like, I'm killing my parents. I'm absolutely killing my parents. And this is not right. And my brothers are ashamed and, you know, not necessarily, they don't know if they should have a hard talk with me and just shake me. They don't know if they should just stay away and not say anything to me. You know, I, I was, I knew all this. And I, I think people sometimes think that we don't realize how much we're affecting, you know, and we're just being selfish. But the point of the, for me, I, that never, that never, you know, like I still went out and did it because I couldn't connect with me. And we talk about, I talk about connection, vulnerability and authenticity. And, you know, my connection, everyone talked about higher power. I remember sitting, uh, going to Oklahoma on a, you know, road trip to hear my grand sponsor, Jerry Jones, uh, you know, tell his story at Oklahoma. And we'd be sitting in this car with a bunch of old guys and, you know, they would say like, Jay, like, you know, stop talking about connection to higher power. Like you're not connected to you. Like you keep talking about how you used to be a great golfer. You talk about how you're, you know, this or that. And, you know, we don't care about that. Like, what are you today? Because you don't even have a connection to to yourself today. Like, let's let's stop playing. And those those words have always rung true in my head in the sense that, yeah. you know, once I got connected to myself and really, truly what I was really passionate about, the connection to a higher power came, uh, the connection to another person came. Um, you know, so, you know, I was able to kind of, you know, ignore, you know, the mental obsession where I come from in the big book is, you know, even knowing that consequences were happening, my, you know, 
I was thinking that I could this time will be different. So, um, you know, it's it's that true connection to self that, yeah. that sits here today compared to the guy back in 2000 in that orange jumpsuit. Right, 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 right. I get it. I totally understand that. So so you you also, you know, you, you've done a great job of explaining what it was like and what happened. And we're getting a little bit into what it's like now, which I love. Can you tell me, uh, I think for the folks that tend to tune into this show and pay attention to what we're talking about, and it, what we're trying to reach is those families that are, you know, you and I are known entities in our industry. People know who Kevin and Jay are. I'm trying to get to the people outside of our bubble and, and help them understand what we're talking about and what it looks like. So you, I think you've done a great job of describing, you know, you grew up in a great family, you loved your parents, they loved you, and yet your addiction took over regardless. And it had nothing to do with mom and dad being good parents or bad parents. That was irrelevant. You, you know, once it hit, it hit and it took off and there you went. And then you got, you got sober and, and, you know, you got engaged in a program of recovery and those folks, those folks turned around and challenged you and said, Hey, you know, you, what you need to do is take this opportunity to get in touch with you and figure out who you are. Now uh, tell me, give me a couple of minutes, just a couple of minutes on what it's like today and your connection with your family. Cause I think that's what the families that watch our show want to know about what, what can, what can recovery do for our entire family and how can it bring things back or bring things to a new place? I mean, Kevin, you're killing me. I mean, this is, I mean, that, that topic, that question still, you know, strikes, you know, it's the, you know, tears, you know, like are coming up in my eyes. I mean, it's the, my life compared to any of that. I mean, even five years sober or even, even three years ago, like, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked and amazed at, um, first off, the, the length that my parent, my parents, my families, everyone that, that surrounds me, my loved ones, I mean, the, the length that they've gone. Uh, my mom's gotten into Al-Anon, which was strongly suggested to her back in the Burning Tree Family Program back in 2009. She's she followed an Al-Anon program. You know, my dad is, uh, you know, the switch um, in him in the last three, four years He's got grandkids and he's got five of them now. And, you know, he he's a different he's a different person than when when I even when we grew up and he's loving. He's just this not to say that, you know, my my dad always thought that, you know, money equals, you know, love. And um, he bought a lot of stuff for us and he didn't know what he was doing in addiction. He thought keeping me off out of jail and, you know, without a record. And he was always the first person I called though. I mean, he was the one to this day that I still, any successes, any failures, I get on the phone with my dad and the conversations today are still, are completely different because we just can talk about what's really going on. And I can talk about fears and I can talk about, you know, just old way of life. And you know, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, just to be showing up as an authentic brother, authentic uncle, authentic, you know, son, um, you know, and my my niece and my four nephews, they know me. They know that I'm in the industry of, of you know, drugs and alcohol. 
Um, you know, it's no secret that what I, what uncle Jay does and they're really proud of that. And it's, you know, I think I, I sure hope I never have to have a conversation with them, um, you know, about abuse or anything like that. But I would, I would like to believe that, that, you know, if they were struggling with something, they can come to me. Um, and I also, we also have a lot of fun together because I'm still a little kid at, you know, at heart, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's family. I mean, my family life is completely, completely different. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I get teared up just because of our families, the length that our family, my family has gone to, to realize, um, you know, what it looks like. I mean, the, the best, my, the best story that I can tell about my mom and dad and, you know, it's probably coming off like my mom and dad are probably going to be a little upset, you know, trying to portray them. They were our, our incredible family, but we also had some family secrets and we had the family reputation. We had the country club, you know, and we had, the, you know, like the good life. And, you know, he, he was a business owner. He didn't want, you know, no one to know that, you know, little Jay was struggling with drugs and alcohol. And so, you know, I never pushed that subject. I never... I never sat and said like, Hey, like, why don't you tell people that I'm struggling from drugs and alcohol? It was always, Oh, Jay's another journey to find himself while I was in treatment or, you know, they'd always cover up and I don't know when it was, but I mean, there's, I mean, I think it, the, the amount of calls that I get from my family, uh, you know, friends or, you know, associates or people that work for my dad or, they're sitting in their country club with my dad, whatever it may be, they're down south that, you know, I'm getting Jay, like your, your dad, your mom won't, you know, shut up about how you turned your life around. My son is struggling with addiction or whatever it may be. And, you know, the goosebumps that are coming over my, my, my whole body right now is like that still, like the fact that my family is like so proud of me and is open about like my journey and becoming a different person and struggling with drugs and alcohol that they would go out to their their family friends. Um, yeah, that that in itself is, I think, a, a testament to how far my family has gone and a testament to how far I've come as changing as a person. Um, you know, families are desperate, and I sure hope that more and more families are finding you as a resource because it's not, it has nothing to do with money or anything like that. Knowing you, um, you know, we, we, I mean, the, the free services that you got, that you, you in particular are offering is why not? Like, I mean, my family did not change until they brought someone in and, and started holding them accountable and, and so forth like that. Yeah. My, my mom certainly didn't change until she got into Al-Anon and, you know, are able to talk about what's going on and, and work on that, you know, deficiency, that belief, that delusion that she was a bad mom. And that's, that's why Jay struggles with drugs and alcohol. So, I mean, the, the, if they can bring in an outside resource and what, I mean, I know you personally, I know what you do, um, the free resources and stuff. I would just highly encourage any family to, to kind of get over the, the shame or the guilt of having a loved one dealing with drugs and alcohol and to reach out and get an outside resource that, that was not going to be able to take sides, but can tell you how to do it and give you a path toward freedom, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you. And that's, I mean, that is really, 
Oh, that's why I think it's so critical that we offer everything for free. You know, we have the Chronic Hope podcast. We have the Chronic Hope YouTube channel. We have a Chronic Hope Facebook group where we do Facebook lives and answer questions. We have, you know, the, the, my website, chronichope.us, and we put all the resources there. And we just, we just want, you know, families to know that if, they're, if they reach out for help, we're going to help them no matter what across the board and, and put as much resources in their hands as possible. And then, you know, there's also my books are available on Amazon, Kindle, and, and um, Audible. So oh, there it is. Um, so Chronic Hope Families and Addiction and Chronic Hope Parenting and Addicted Child are all available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have a lot of social media channels. You'll find us everywhere. Um, Jay, let's finish up real fast. Oh, wait, I think we're going to get another uh, here. There's our YouTube, Spotify. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts as well under the Chronic Hope Institute. Let's finish up and give us a quick, give us the elevator pitch for Burning Tree. <laughs> I am Burning Tree. I mean, it's uh, hopeless, there you, go. you know, helpless. Uh you know, person, uh, Burning Tree programs as, you know, four programs now. I'm out in Tucson. I'm the executive director of Burning Tree West, which is, you know, kind of a recovery community. It's a young adult transitional program. Uh, we have a sober living uh, for 18 and over men and women. Uh, just to, I'm trying to create kind of what we talked about is we're a sober living uh, that, that works with families. We have a young adult program that works with families and, you know, works with young adults. Our other programs are in Texas, are inpatient. Our ranch, which saved my life, is a long-term facility. Dealt with people that have been through numerous treatment centers, IEJ, um, families that have been through numerous family programs, uh, i.e. my, you know, my family. We have a Re Renewal Lodge, which is a mindfulness approach uh, to the 12 steps just outside of Austin, Texas. We have a women's only trauma first substance abuse uh you know program called fulbrook center so you can join i mean just jump on burningtree.com i mean i i can give you the elevator pitch but you know i prefer to let just flat out like i would not be here i don't think without the the help of burning tree and i've been sober i went in in uh, october 19 2008 and you know knock on wood that's still my uh sobriety date and the things learned at burning tree um you know, we're owned, we're not, we're not corporate owned. We're not, you know, equity firm Our our owner, David Elliott is still down home, you know, just a rancher at heart, loves helping people, um, is still involved with, with clients. He still loves that client interaction. So you have this small time, small facility field, but we're up to four facilities now. Um, Burningtree.com appreciate the opportunity to they were the ones that are allowing me to take a, a time out and, and spend time with my my friend Kevin. But uh, Burningtree.com absolutely we uh we're uh I, I I stand behind it because it saved my life. Well that that in itself is the elevator pitch that it saved your life and it worked for you. And and I, you know, I totally get it. And I think that's fantastic. I really appreciate you spending your time with me, man. And hey. By the way, aren't we doing something tomorrow? We 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 are. So like it has nothing to do with this. I mean, this is a this is a huge national platform. Uh, I I host co-host 
a small little garage, you know, little show, Eric Jane Eric. Uh, so tomorrow night, I think it's 6 p.m. Uh, Central. We're going to bring back uh, Kevin Peterson, and, and we're going to talk families because, believe it or not, Eric Button and myself, we get swamped with families, and I want to, I want you to get more involved because I think families need to get uh, to know you more, um, and that's my greatest wish in life is to, you know, connect families with true, legitimate resources, and and you're always been, you know, top of my top of our list. So you're going to join us tomorrow night. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking forward to it. And is that, how do people access that? Is that on Facebook or where do they find that? You can look up uh, on Facebook, the Jane Eric show, um, the best show no one's ever heard of. So we're excited to uh, finally bring a national uh, brand, Kevin Peterson, to the show that no one <laughs> literally has never heard of. We've been doing it for nine years. So uh, I, it's, I, I know, I know a lot of people that look forward to it and listen to it. They think it's awesome. So the Jay and Eric show on Facebook and, uh, we'll, I, I mean, we'll probably be able to put some sort of attachment to that on this. Um, Hey yeah. man, thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. True honor. Thanks so much for all you do, Kevin. Hey, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and, and to the Chronic Hope podcast. This was episode 15 a journey to authenticity and recovery. Uh, if you have any interest or questions, you can definitely connect with Jay at burningtree.com. Um, and I know that all the information is there. Um, and if you have any interest or uh, want to know more about the Chronic Hope Institute, you can go to chronichope.us and you'll find all those free resources that we're talking about. And I think that is about all we have today.